Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to remake Troy. Oh, Troy. Yeah, the 2004. Wolfgang Peterson film, mm-hmm. Troy. Yeah, yeah, what would you what would you change about it? Aside from everything, obviously. For for one thing, I probably would just uh do another version of the Iliad instead of trying to remake specifically mm-hmm. the 2004 film Troy. Mm-hmm. You know, I would probably do that angle on it. This has no association with the Brad Pitt would-be epic. Although I will say, um, have you ever seen the director's cut of Troy? No, it's, I have no intention. That's fair. It's, it is interesting, though. It's a lot, a lot more violent. There's a lot more nudity in it, more sex in it. For one thing, just one thing, one thing you're going to change. One thing I would change Troy. is one thing about Troy. I would try to cast someone with a lot more gravitas as Achilles, but who isn't super, super famous. I think the problem is, even though I like Brad Pitt in a lot of stuff, I think overall he's really figured out his movie star persona. Mm-hmm. I think there was some sort of equation of we have one of the most iconic ancient characters ever. So let's cast one of the most famous human beings on the planet to sort of give him that aura, you know, give him that aura of celebrity Mm. as this Mm -hmm. great warrior who's also like kind of a quasi-divine Greek mythological Mm. figure. Mm -hmm. Really what you want is you just want like a really good Shakespearean trained actor in that role so we're talking like 2004 michael fassbender right that's the guy i mean fassbender would be cool i feel like fassbender was still kind of unknown yeah and he was kind of figuring it out he shows up in like 300 and he's he's cool in that but um i don't think it was until he was in um this indie movie fish tank in 2009 that's where i think he started to just get amazing because he realized oh i can play a creep but also i'm super handsome and it creates instant tension incredibly charming yeah so he always does that he leans into the tension of i'm just this total freak who's going to do all sorts of unspeakable things to any woman i come across but also he's got that weird roguish charm and you're just like oh this guy is this guy's trouble you know this guy's just a powder keg waiting to go off so i think by the time that so he was in Inglorious Bastards in 2009. Yeah. Show Stealing Yeah, that Role. was the same year. Yeah, he's awesome. And then in that. also in Shame as right, well. Right, in 2011. Yeah. That was where I think he definitely broke out. And was it an Oscar? No, it wasn't an Oscar nomination. No, he did uh, but not. People were talking get about an Oscar it. Yeah. nomination. But people were talking about it. There was a lot of buzz around that performance. So, 
Yeah, I'm gonna go with. You're gonna go with Fastbender. Fastbender. Get in early with Fastbender. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what? What would be your major change? Yeah. Because I think it's just like Brad Pitt is just. He's distracting. We know him in too many contexts, trying to make him Achilles. The reason why it doesn't work is because Brad Pitt is at his best when he is playing a goofy, zany, strange... A weirdo, yeah. Yeah, he's best when he's playing a weirdo. I think it depends on the tone that you're going for. Yeah. If you're going for a more extreme, violent, crazy, intense film, I think you could keep Pitt and just punch up the script... Um, but if you're going to go just straight Shakespearean, I, I think you would have to uh, to recast him. So with the interest of keeping the cast intact, you just punch it up. Punch it up and make it as wild as possible, as vulgar as possible. So the, the blood and sand route, if you will. Exactly. The, the gods yes, of the arena into, route. Yeah, yeah. Turn this into Spartacus, okay? <laughs> I yeah. mean, hey. Why not? It's a winning formula. What can I say? You know, that show. That show is brilliant. It figured it out, man. It really did. That's the funny thing about Spartacus. It takes all of these 300 aesthetics, and I do not like the movie 300. That movie is pretty trash, in my opinion. It's got, like, some cool visual ideas, but it just, it's such sophomore garbage. And Spartacus figured it out. We can take these overcranked visuals, and if we overcrank literally everything else, especially the violence and the sexual content, and we make it this really like soapy, backstabbing kind of a thing, suddenly it all it all clicks into place. It didn't even happen until like halfway through the first season, but you felt it fall into place, and it's like, oh shit, they're getting it. They're figuring out what this aesthetic and what all of this extreme content can support, you know? And it was this right. really soapy, over-the-top, Shakespearean dinner theater backstabbings, you know? And it was delightful. It was great. It was enjoyable. It was a guilty pleasure of 2011. It was. Just from 2010 to 2012, 2013. It yeah. was such a guilty pleasure that Oof. I like very... I felt bad after watching it. <laughs> like I would enjoy it so much and I'd feel you bad. You felt like, bad. I knew I shouldn't. I watched... I knew I shouldn't have enjoyed it. I watched it. almost the whole first season before I even mentioned this show to anyone. And it was this shameful thing. It's like telling somebody, oh man, I found a really, really great search term on Pornhub or something. <laughs> that's, that's the level of shame this would be recommending this show. And finally it got to a point where I was like, all right, all right. This show has come along enough. This show feels enough like a real series. No, no. You just wanted to spread your sin to other people. (laughs) Get out of here. I had to go to confession for weeks after watching that show. (laughs) Just driving all of your depraved filth onto all your friends so you don't feel so bad. Uh Uh-huh. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're probably right. All right. Maybe we should probably start this up (laughs) before things get out of hand. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host, the most famous son of North Carolina, Mr. Alex Sinesi. How you doing, bro? I'm doing all right, man. I feel like most people who are historically famous in North Carolina, it's for horrible reasons. So yeah, let me just, let's just knock me right up to the top. I mean, I just painted, I just told our listeners why you're so famous. And it's because you spread your depravity. <laughs> I spread the gospel, the gospel of stars <laughs> upon mm-hmm. the masses. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's why you're here. Well, thank you. Anyway. Thank you for that intro, man. Of course, dude. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. So, um... We're here to talk about uh, episodes five and six of season one of Lost, uh, White Rabbit, and House of the Rising Sun. And uh, I'll be honest with you, listeners, I I've been having a bit of a rough day. It's been it's been a bit of a tough day. It's been a day of kind of a major setback that uh, I'm I'm figuring out. I'm I'm figuring out my way around it. Um, all I'll say is uh, it's fucking tough making a movie, man. Making a movie is really it's it's just the toughest thing you'll ever do. It's a lot of crazy shit to work out with schedules and personalities and and figuring out how to get it done just like by the skin of your teeth. But hey, just got to keep keep plugging away at it. So I guess I'm just saying I'm a little feeling a little grumpy today, feeling a little out of sorts. But I Mm. feel like that's very appropriate 
as far as a, a mood to be in when talking oh, about no. episode oh, five no. of Lost. Oh, White no. Rabbit. Okay. I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were taking this here. <laughs> let me just, all right, let me just cut that right now. No, okay. no you're not doing it. You're not doing it. I mean, you're just ready to unleash yourself all over that episode. <laughs> Just, just stop making this uh, no. so like incredibly erotic, dude. I mean, you gotta quit with that. <laughs> so, so what? Ha- All right, let's. We might as well. Do we want to just break down the episode? Do we want to do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do a recap on five before yeah. the airing of the grievances begins. Oh no. Okay. Oof. All right. So in episode five, White Rabbit, um, the Losties dwindling water supply. It's going missing. Spoiler alert. Boone stole everyone's water. Thank you, Boone. <laughs> Fucking Boone, man. It's so obvious too, man. On re- I, I, so I haven't seen this episode in years, and it was pretty obvious that Boone stole the water from like the very first uh, scene. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's obviously this guy, right? Like, we're all just going to pretend like we don't know. Anyway, meanwhile, uh, Jack, the reluctant savior of the group, tears through the island after seeing what appears to be his recently deceased father. Um, this episode features the first Jack flashback, and we get a taste of the frosty relationship that he has with his uh, father, Christian. And we also discover that the reason why Jack was on uh, the oceanic flight was because he was accompanying his father's corpse back to the States. And I think the episode ends with Jack finding fresh water uh, in a series of caves. And that sort of like brings hope to the uh, remaining survivors that are on the island. It ends with on a, on a happy note. It ends on a bright, hopeful, optimistic note. It does. It ends on a real kind of St. Crispin's Day speech. That's the live together, die alone speech, that right? That is the live together, die alone speech. <laughs> Which, thoughts about that. I have thoughts about <laughs> that speech in the next episode, too. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. The whole thing we were saying, though, that that kind of gets at my pet peeve about Jack as a character that we brought up a little bit talking about the pilot. And I think it holds true here, too, which is just that this show is taking such a massive leap, such a massive assumption that we are all so in the bag for Jack as the main character. And the idea with this episode is, let's take the character that everybody loves and break him down and give him some depth. And then at the end, he will reassume the role that everybody's already comfortable with, him being the leader. And it's like, they don't have us there at all, man. And everything that happens in this episode instead makes him wildly unbelievable. Oh no. Okay, whatever. All right, just no. I'm not. Mm-mm, no, nope. no. I see what you're saying. Yes. And I don't know if it's ju- it's not just Jack. Yeah. I think that this is, and I'm just gonna go ahead and hop to it. I think after watching both of these episodes, this might be the first tell that the writers did not know, not just where the show was headed, but they did not know the talent that they had on board and how to effectively best deploy them interesting yeah the way that their focus was yeah i mean yeah let's like let's just go ahead and talk about both of the uh, actors like the the ones that have the flashbacks over the two episodes that we're talking about sure. well we've got matthew fox he's known for party of five mm-hmm. that's his biggest role he had done some small work on television um before just like uh, supporting roles he was cast like in a lead on some tv show called haunted which was on the defunct upn that ran for about a month, and then maybe three years later, in 2004, he gets cast as Jack Shepard. And he originally had wanted to be um, auditioning, or he originally wanted the role of Sawyer. I think it's super, super interesting that he went out for the role of Sawyer, especially watching this episode again. And thinking about all the stuff that he's done since Lost too. he has primarily played villains in villains. large yep. feature films. And... My immediate thought watching this again is I think Matthew Fox, I think he's a talented actor. I think I think so. He loves to dig into difficult men and kind of the things about them that are off-putting. The things about generic white guys who would be protagonists who have 
turned and curdled and become something messed up and how he can sort of dig into that and he likes getting his hands dirty and you watch it and you're like he is leaning so far into everything unlikable about this character and i think that's interesting i think that Mm -hmm. as the sort of main point of view character on this show he kind of drives me crazy especially when there's so many other characters who i find so interesting i think if you were making lost now he would shift into being an antagonist pretty quickly that's oh wow that's so interesting um that's interesting because there are shows on tv now where a character like him would not be allowed to exist like I was watching, what's the name of it? White Lotus, not oh, too long yeah. ago. Yeah, sure. And great television mm-hmm. show. And very quickly, I think the show took to task the idea of like outstanding, um, exceptional white men. Yeah. Pretty quickly and broke that down <laughs> over the course of like the six episodes. <laughs> with and I with feel like great delight. With great delight. <laughs> yeah. So much relish. Taking those characters and being like, you have no idea what the fuck you were talking about, man. It's a fun show. It's, so it's a fun good. show. Love that show. Yeah. Another one I was thinking of is I just watched M. Night Shyamalan's Old. And oh, yeah, that's right. In we that, about that. <laughs> there is a character played by uh, Rufus Sewell mm-hmm. who he's kind of the one handsome white dude who wants to be in charge on the beach and almost immediately they start to introduce these elements of mental illness and instability with him he's a surgeon too he's kind of the guy who can help everyone but almost immediately it's like no this guy is an absolute liability he's a powder keg and by the end of it he's a full-on villain Mm -hmm. and it's great it works so well the tension of that where you take this character who is incredibly paranoid but thinks he should be in charge and you just like give him a knife and make him a little confused and suddenly he's a great great bad guy and i think about that with this episode because jack throughout this episode spends most of it thrashing around in the woods chasing after his dead father saying all kinds of insane stuff and kate is just like uh i think you need to get some sleep bud and it's like yeah it, it, it's a pointless it's a pointless plot trajectory for the character over the course of the episode it does nothing you can tell it's definitely like them treading water with his character having him chase his own tail until he can figure out how to be a leader again it's just so funny though if you look at it as anyone else on this island watching him watching his behavior right now has got to be like jesus christ and this is the guy that yeah. we're going to be listening to <laughs> yeah, for the next exactly. month exactly he would have earned a demotion immediately yeah. <laughs> because he clearly does not seem stable. Right. It, it may, I mean, obviously, Locke, at, by that point, seems like the most stable, level-headed leader on the show. And I get that he is sort of on his own spiritual journey, and he's, he's yes. off in this weird nether realm where he's not really interested in relating to other people he's only gonna dispense the wisdom he's receiving from the other side but at the same time it's also like he's not thrashing through the woods like a maniac right almost throwing himself off of a cliff cliff. after seeing his dead father they're like well maybe maybe he's just tired maybe he is a little dehydrated and he's seeing things it's like if this dude's blood sugar drops too low is he just gonna start executing all the redheads <laughs> you cannot be trusting this guy for his leadership skills right now and yet not at all he's the handsome white dude on a network tv show and i feel like there are just assumptions that he is gonna snap back to being the main character yeah yeah and yep. another example of this that is from a show i don't care for at all but uh it was certainly hugely popular for a while in the past decade um the walking dead Rick. oh boy no nope nope i don't even i mean right oh, he's nope, like the worst no. escalation oh no i don't want to talk about that show but you see what i'm saying just to- I know. a totally like, unstable guy no. who just you're looks making... sort of like a movie star no. you are making my blood pressure <laughs> increase let's move along okay move along okay all right so um yeah this episode was uh written by christian taylor he wrote and directed a thesis film at nyu which essentially won the student body version of best picture 
It won like, okay. a gold medal there. And then he submitted it to the Academy, and it was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Live Action Short, wow. his thesis film. So pretty impressive. Yeah, of course. Right off of that, he was brought into the writing staff on Six Feet Under. He actually wrote scripts there that received Emmy and WGA nominations, and he got recruited into the sort of brain trust of writer-producers who were all throwing ideas at the wall. That included him and uh, Javier Grio, Mark Wash, Paul Dini, and Jennifer Johnson. And that was sort mm. of like the core crew that Lindelof could have sort of spitballing at all times to try and just like get more material, keep feeding the beast as it were. Yeah, so this is like the focus group sort of, that is pulled together in order to shape the show, at least over the first season. Yeah, because okay. I think they realized pretty quickly they were going to have a standard network order of about 24 or 25 episodes in this season. It's nuts. Oh, no. It's so oh. much. It's so many hours of content. You end up just needing so much material. So they brought these guys on. JJ even had a couple of his producers from Alias being consulting producers, just doing some extra writing for it. But yeah, I mean, it's just this massive task. Do you think that it would have made more sense for them to just, like, in, in retrospect, mm. in hindsight, yeah. just go ahead and cut each season down to 12 to 13 episodes? Oh, sure. But you have to look at what the model was back then. Doing 13 episodes was still this incredibly short boutique episode order that really only, like... HBO and a few Prestige select TV, cable television. Yeah. Cable television shows were doing. None of the networks was uh, doing such a short episode order. Every drama yeah. was 24 episodes. <sighs> Lindelof quickly. It's just so bloated yeah, when you yeah, think about he, it. He realized, like, this is unsustainable, and he just begged yeah. the network to either let him end it or just have fewer episodes in a season so that they could try and bring the quality up and you know i, I mean i think looking at lost what they were able to sustain over these 26 episodes is pretty remarkable i mean i just i have to respect the virtuosity and the improvisation that went into it but uh this episode is an example of i think that backfiring and i think so much of it just comes from Jack as a character. Jack was never meant to survive the pilot. And you can really tell that unlike Kate, who had a very elaborate backstory already in mind, ready to go from that pilot episode, Jack, it's like, oh, so he's the hero, but we haven't really, we don't know who he is and we don't actually have a function for him. I, I remember this episode at the time I was so frustrated with and... I don't think I, it's gotten any better for me, honestly. I, I don't even think it's the worst Jack episode. No, I, I mean, yeah, like the tattoos. Come on. That's the worst Jack episode. Yeah, that's, that's all the way in mm -hmm. season three, though. We won't dwell on that too much. Yeah, we won't. This character had issues just in terms of his conception. And I think you look at his flashbacks, too. They're just there's so little specificity to them. You know, it starts with him as a kid watching just completely like stereotypical non-character bullies wail on somebody. And he gets up and immediately gets punched for trying to like stand up for him and stand up for himself. Yeah, The blocking is bad. The directing, it, there's just, there's no sort of life to these characters at all. It's, it's like a philosophical exercise of an idea of fight or flight yeah. you know what would you do yeah. and you know this character yeah. this kid in the background just continually punching a kid in the gut up against a chain link fence 10 15 times in a row and it's like what what are you accomplishing are you are you trying to scare him are you trying to steal his lunch money his baseball card what are you doing it's like they don't even get that far he's literally just like wailing yeah, on him yeah. like he's a heavy bag it's a weird episode it's a it weird is. episode. I, I, do we want to talk about the other one? Uh, I'll just say, um, for the last thing, this episode was directed by Kevin Hooks, who started as an actor. He started as a child actor, actually. He was in uh, this movie Sounder uh, in 1972. Have you ever seen that? Mm, no, but I, if that is that based off of the book? It is based off the book, yeah. Yeah, I remember the book. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's about, like, uh, a black family in 
the South in the early 20th century. And it sort of is centered around this, you know, dog that they love. But it, it also talks yeah. about like just sort of the social and political climate at the time, sort of the stressors that they were under. And he plays the eldest son of the two leads, uh, Cicely Tyson okay. and Paul Winfield, who is uh, Darmok himself from TNG. Oh, yes. And they actually got Oscar nominations for that. Uh, the actors who played his parents did. But he did that. He acted on television a bunch in the 80s. And then by the 90s, he had already transitioned to directing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. His first movie was called uh, Strictly Business. It's uh, like a romantic comedy with uh, Tommy Davidson and Halle Berry, which um, what? Yeah, sounds kind of fun. Wow, this guy started off just hitting dingers out of the park. It's funny. So it's like Tommy Davidson plays like this hapless male clerk who obviously has a huge crush on Halle Berry. And you can see yes. all the comedic complications from that. And it seems like something that would just be so just straight down the middle, populist entertainment. And it came out right. and it received a tiny, tiny limited release. Are you kidding me? No. What is up with that? Tommy Davidson. Yeah. Like, what is How that? is that not going wide immediately? Yeah. I guess yeah. in 91, it was like too early or something for studios to consider yeah. black audiences as a mainstream audience, but that was insane to me. Yeah. And I mean, Halle Berry hadn't quite popped yet. So, I mean, maybe that's the reason why. So, I, I, that's the only thing I could and think of. And Tommy Davidson, I guess, was still just on In Living Color. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. But still, crazy to me. And oh. then, you know, he got some some bigger movies after that. He did uh, Passenger 57 with Wesley Snipes, mm. which is mm -hmm. a minor action trash classic. Have you ever seen that one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of the great action Oof. movie one-liners of the 90s. Oh, yes. <laughs> you ever play roulette? On occasion. Well, let me give you a word of advice. <laughs> Always bet on black. <laughs> and he hangs up the phone and it crash zooms in on that. And it's so good. Oh, Snipes is amazing, dude. I fucking love him. Yes, he is. He's the best. He can fucking put some sauce on a line like almost nobody else, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, Another yeah. thing I love about that movie is um, it's just so clearly like a diehard ripoff on a plane yeah but, um, oh yeah the main villain is a serial killer who they are transporting on this commercial flight for some reason and of course he breaks out and starts all manner of havoc yeah yeah he's a serial killer he's murdered multiple people but they were pulling from like the hans gruber yes. playbook so yes. hard where that whole movie is about how the villains are all very upscale very very like high class fashion obsessed kind of characters and they're meant to be vapid and sociopathic and then john mcclain is very much like this honest working stiff kind of a man and it's a it's a dynamic that works so well in a simple action movie but in passenger 57 <laughs> The way that this character is described in a newscast is not not for being a serial killer, not for being somebody who enjoys murdering people, but he's simply described as a sophisticated British aristocrat. <laughs> it's like, we want you to know that this is this rich asshole who you can't identify with. Never mind the fact that he, you know, cuts women up in his spare time. <laughs> It's a criminal. Right. It's like, no. The reason he was arrested was for his fashion sense. And for being too sophisticated and British. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Uh, anyway, Passenger 57. Right. That's okay. a great time. So, yeah. Watch yeah, it. Yeah. So, he directed two episodes of Lost's first season, and then... Uh, the very next year he jumped over to prison break and he was basically mm, that okay. show's main director for its run okay and uh you okay. know i mean i i don't love the directing job he does here but you can tell just in cutaways to like build suspense and things when jack mm-hmm. is hanging off the cliff or like running through mm-hmm. the forest all that stuff is pretty well rendered yes it's well executed. yeah you can tell that he just has like an eye for shooting action on a tv schedule which uh, may sound like faint praise but i mean i i think that his directing is definitely not the issue here the the problem yeah. with the episode is all in yep. the writing exactly it's the yeah. writing yeah it's the writing yep i mean so i mean we're getting into the second episode yeah, let's right? do it yeah so i mean the house of the rising sun it is a sun centric episode i i actually kind of like this episode I really like the contrast that the writers establish between present day Sun and Jen um, and who they were at the beginning of their relationship. Anyway, it is a, an episode that focuses mostly on Sun and Jen, um, and it starts off with Jen attacking Michael pretty inexplicably on the beach. They have a, a, a showdown between the two of them, and it leads to Jen being chained up to a, a part of the plane. Um, and meanwhile, we basically follow Sun um, as she experiences isolation away from the rest of the Losties, the rest of the survivors on the beach. We come to understand that they had a once tender relationship. Sun is part of a very wealthy family. And at the time um, when she was younger, she met Jen when he was working for, I believe it's, I guess he's just sort of like a, a, a working for a catering business mm-hmm. and catering a party. But they already knew each other and fell in love and had plans to be married. Jen offers his his services to work for Sun's father. Um, and they don't explicitly tell you what Sun's father does, but you're led to believe that he's involved in some sort of organized crime and that Jen is, in exchange for being able to marry Sun, is now doing uh, her father's dirty work. And it takes a toll on their relationship. Essentially what happens is they decide to leave and head to the States. Sun is planning on leaving Jen because she's so unhappy in the relationship. And she's so afraid of him too, right? She's so afraid of him. Yeah, that's a good point. Very, very good point. She's so very afraid of him. And, you know, the interesting thing that I thought is like, it's the reveal that she has known English the entire time that she's been on the island. She knows what everyone is saying, but she is choosing to not reveal that. And then there's a good heartwarming moment. I think that's very earned between the two actors where they do decide to, to board the plane together, and that's what brings them to the island. The episode just kind of ends with uh, the Losties deciding whether or not they are going to um, stay on the beach. There's a, a party that stays on the beach, and they're waiting for help to uh, arrive, which is unlikely. And then there's another group that's led by Jack that's going to go ahead and make residence further in the island and uh, stay up at the caves. It's a good episode. Yeah, I think the performances are strong. Like I, I really like the work by Yoon Jin Kim and uh, Daniel Day Kim. But I think the script work that they've got is fantastic, and I think they do the most with what's given. And I think this is an example of the writers not entirely knowing what to do with the talent that they've got assembled before them. Yoon Jin Kim, she is a very, very talented actress. I had no idea the pedigree that she came from um, before being on Lost and essentially kind of playing like a supporting role. She immigrated to the, to the States as a young person, attended London's uh, Academy of Performing Arts, earned her BFA at Boston University, had minor roles in soap operas um, before going back overseas to Korea and just starring in a slew of uh, television shows, pursuing an entertainment career over there. And then I think she was in one of the bigger Korean films, I think it's called Shiri, which I've never seen before, but that was like one of the larger Korean films. It was an action film. Yeah, I've seen Shiri. Have you? Was it good? It is. It's pretty good. Um, This was in 1999. This was just when the content restrictions on Korean films were being lifted and more explicit and more modern types of films were allowed to be made. It's not one of the great movies of the Korean new wave, in my opinion. It's more of kind of a 
standard action pot boiler. It feels kind of like a like a Tom Clancy-ish movie. Mm-hmm. And she's playing this sort of femme fatale who has leads mm-hmm. a double life as an assassin and a sophisticated woman in South Korea. And it's got these North Korean villains who are sort of tied to her, one of whom is played by uh, Choi Min-sik, oh, who fucking nice. rules. I mean, yes. that dude has never found a role that he could not commit to no, to no. a dangerous degree. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It doesn't matter what he's doing. He's going to be unhealthily committed to his performance. And he just, he goes hard, you know, he goes fucking ham in everything and uh, we love him. But yes, it's a totally solid movie. I would not put it anywhere near the best work of like Chan Wook Park or Bong Joon-ho or well, of course, any of those yes. guys, Lee Chang-dong. And like, it's right. not, it's not one of the great. just name dropping, just yeah, name yeah, dropping. Name yeah, drop. which other Korean uh, directors do you just want to name drop right now? Uh, I could name drop uh, Kim Ki-duk or... Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, go ahead. Just name one more. Ooh, name one more. Um... You know what? I can't remember his name. It's the guy who did Chaser. That movie fucking rules. I can't remember uh, his name. Have you ever seen Chaser? I, I haven't. Oh, I gotta look it up now. You put me on oh, the boy. fucking spot, you ass. Yeah, his mind went <laughs> blank. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, the plot of Chaser is great. It's about a guy who... Oh, it's uh, Na Hong Jin. Okay. That is about like a guy who used to be a uh, police detective and now he's a pimp and one of his prostitutes gets kidnapped by a serial killer and he has to use his old police connections to like track her down and track down the killer. It's great. Getting back to the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you have a talented, established actress. Yeah. And that's not even, I mean, we haven't even talked about Daniel Day Kim. Yeah. We'll get to him at some point. Mm -hmm. But she is clearly talented. She can clearly cover a broad range of emotions. I think that she is capable, just based on her previous work, of demonstrating range. Having watched that episode, I came away thinking, why wasn't she more uh, prominently featured on Lost? I mean, the emotional crux of this episode literally just plays out on her face in the airport and she sells a huge dramatic transition for her character just off the strength of her performance it's really Mm -hmm. really good and i love to so in contrast with the jack episode where the flashbacks are just kind of ridiculous boilerplate this guy has daddy issues and now his daddy issues have literally manifested in his dad walking around and he's gotta smash his coffin to pieces in a hissy fit in just one of the stupidest like moments of catharsis this show ever did that that moment just has me rolling my eyes so hard but by comparison the flashbacks in this episode reveal so much about their characters, not unlike the lock flashback, and it's more low-key in this case, but you get to see uh, Yunjin Kim in these flashbacks be so charismatic, and so... Yes. She's in the middle of this great romance, she loves this guy so much, and then she sees this turn in him, she watches him, like, washing blood off his clothes, and she's yeah. clearly, like, freaking out because she's gotten herself way in over her head with this guy and she's uh, terrified yeah and and then you jump back to the island and you see her and she just looks beaten down she looks really sad and in this dark place and she's stuck with this guy she doesn't trust anymore in like the worst possible situation and it makes her character so much richer absolutely especially yeah, oh, yeah. the first scene with her at the party oh yeah she is so charming she is i mean she's already like an attractive woman but she is so charming it's so effortless she's just so vibrant in that scene yeah and then yeah you're right like by the end of the episode like she's so beaten down and so just tired and worn it's just a testament to how great of an actress she is it gives the whole flashback structure so much more reason for being as opposed to being like let's try and spackle over the undercooked elements of this character with some like basic psychology it's much more like here's a character in two totally different mental states two totally different emotional states and here is why their fight for survival on the island is so 
emotionally vital and and there's yes. there's such high emotional stakes to it so yeah so it's it's a really cool episode from that uh in that way and uh i think so much of it we really have to put on her because she had auditioned for the role of kate mm -hmm. basically um JJ and Lindelof decided to go a different way with that character, but they loved her audition so much that they wrote the role of Stone uh, for okay. her. Okay. And I think immediately you look at it and you look at her role in the pilot and her role up until this point, and it had been kind of stereotypical and probably mm -hmm. not even stereotypically Korean. I mean, to me, it feels yeah. much more like stereotypical to like, early 20th century Japanese archetypes, honestly, mm -hmm. which uh, no coincidence in the fact that this episode is titled House of the Rising Sun, which yeah. just makes oh, me boy. think of Japan, which I'm like, well, why the fuck did you call it that, dude? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like furthering the idea that the writers are just like, yeah, it's just Asian. It's just generally Asian trappings. That's what we're going for. You know what it is. And it's like, come on, y'all. Do the work. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that she came to the writers and was like, look, I think this character feels very stereotypical. I'm not like this person at all. None of my friends are like this person at all. I don't know where you're drawing from, but uh, I don't lead this very like buttoned up traditional mm -hmm. sort of life. Mm -hmm. And I think this episode is the start of them course correcting and making a richer character. And just everything yeah. that they add on to it immediately, you're like, oh, yeah, this character is way more interesting than we Absolutely. Thought. Absolutely. Yeah. So this episode was written by Javier Griot Marwatch, who is interesting. So like we're talking about Christian Taylor, how that guy was yeah. like right out of film school got an Oscar nomination, got on a huge prestige HBO show, jumped over yeah. and lost. This guy, on the other hand, was all about genre television on the network. Mm. His first show ever was Sequest DSV, starring Roy Scheider and a talking Whoa. dolphin. Oh, yeah. Whoa. After okay. that, he did Dark Skies. Do you remember Dark Skies? Vaguely. That's like pulling me back. Yeah, it was like an X-Files ripoff that was set in the okay. 50s. And it was supposed to be X-Files, but with a retro flavor where it's like the start of the government conspiracies. Uh -huh. It was very boilerplate. It was funny. It had a really high budget, but you could tell it was just riding off of that show's coattails. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. Um, and then he became the executive story editor on the first two seasons of Charmed. A totally okay. chill show where there were never any yes. behind the scenes. No <laughs> drama on that show at all. <laughs> no yeah. drama behind the scenes. All the drama was no. on the screen. Yeah, no, of yeah. course. All three or all four of those actresses <laughs> loved each loved other each so other. much. They loved each yeah. other so much, you know, that uh, originally there were three of them and then there became four. And, you know, maybe, maybe then they became three again. But hey, you know. The more the merrier. Right, right, right. So he wrote 29 episodes of, uh, of Charmed. Just mm. dealing with the... Wow. Uh, <laughs> the tribulations of the uh, the Hallowell family and the power of three. And uh, then he was just, he was bouncing around to um, all kinds of other like network genre shows. He wrote on Boomtown, The Dead Zone, SU, SVU. Uh, I almost called I remember it Boomtown. Yeah, I yeah. remember that too. I remember that show being hyped as fuck. Yeah. And then canceled yeah. after one season. Immediately canceled, man. <laughs> I just, what was the guy's I just remember it had uh, what's the guy's name with like the fierce like blue eyes and blonde hair he's in like everything he's in Minority Report oh it's Neil McDonough yes yeah, Neil McDonough. I love Thank Neil McDonough yeah. I do too. Fucking rules, yeah. man. Yeah, man. He's awesome. He is, though, like, God, the most horrifyingly Aryan looking dude. <laughs> Those blue eyes look like they're going to drill into your soul. <laughs> All right, keep going. He's like, keep where's going. your basement? <laughs> Who are you hiding in there? No, no, no. I'm sure he's a very nice man, and he's wonderful in Band of Brothers, and I really like him in Ravenous, too. He fucking rules in that. So, most recently before Lost, and he credits his hiring on Lost to a UPN sci-fi show he was on called Jake 2.0, which was about a computer... Uh, 
essentially an IT guy who gets some special computer program downloaded into his brain that makes him a superhero. <laughs> you know, I, I think it had like a loyal following at the time, and it was one of those. It was one of those UPN shows, man. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're like the best. The Sentinel or VIP or any of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mutant X. Right, right. It's a great show. Yeah. So basically what happened was UPN preempted that show with a rerun of America's Next Top Model, which promptly got double the ratings that show had <laughs> ever received. Oh, wow. And they just essentially looked at those numbers and were like, all right, everybody pack up. You're done. So he said, uh, America's Next Top Model, very much responsible for him <laughs> being available slash out of a job. And I think it's interesting, too, because we keep talking about it, how this was just a time when reality was so yeah. dominant and the networks kept trying to make scripted stuff work and they just they couldn't ever justify it. They could never find yeah. something where they were like this is worth the money that we're putting out instead of just finding a bunch of D-list celebrities and, you know, mm -hmm. blurring their genitals, essentially, in a and hot putting tub. Putting them in the desert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so after that, he took a meeting with uh, JJ and Damon, and he said uh, that neither one of them had ever seemed particularly impressed with him, but uh, Lindelof was just looking so cracked out and beaten down and just utterly sleep deprived they basically hired him after one meeting <laughs> and you just get the impression that they were like just anybody just you've written for tv before like we need you now bring it in bring it in and he he has a really interesting seventeen thousand word expose where he talks about his entire time on lost from its conception how they were building the plane in the air essentially again just to to crash it and and just how nuts it was and how how difficult it was he has he's a really interesting story about like a two-week span where lindelof essentially quit the show he just he went to like a palm springs like retreat and was chilling for a couple weeks and trying to figure shit out and the reason he came back to the show was not because he had some burst of inspiration but because he heard about a story idea that they were planning to do in his absence and he was like no i can't allow this to happen <laughs> and so the reason he came back was because the writing staff was just fucking up in his absence and he had to come right the ship apparently like they were pitching some idea that hurley was going to uh hypnotize someone to try and figure what? out some okay. like vital yeah, information no, no. nope shut it down because he had like some sort of close-up magic down. hypnotism shut skills. it down nope nope yeah, but um, yeah, he managed to just stay on for two seasons. The burnout rate was very high, but he says, you know, yeah. still very, uh, very proud of his work on the show. He said writing this episode was really tough. He had no background on Korean culture. He didn't speak the language at all. So it's interesting. I mean, I think, again, you would look at any modern show where they were planning on having two Korean leads, you you would figure they would at least have one person on the writing staff right. with a background in that right. who would be able to like speak to things a little more. But uh, he and Lindelof collaborating with Yeon Jun Kim actually created something really interesting. They really like leaned on her performance abilities and got through it. Mm -hmm. The script was written completely in English and Lindelof said they didn't even realize until they started editing the episode oh, this episode is 70% in a foreign language. Right. It's 70% right. subtitled. And they were like, we didn't even think about it because wow. we never read the script with any Korean yeah. in it. So yeah. it just sort of flew over our heads. And uh, next thing you know, they have this episode that people were calling this breakthrough for network TV where mm -hmm. they were expecting a network TV audience to read subtitles. And I guess that mm -hmm. was still a big deal in 2004. Wow. wow. Everybody liked it. It was well-received, and, and there you go. Who directed the episode? It was this guy, uh, Michael Zinberg. Yeah. He was like a TV lifer. He came to Hollywood in 1968, and he directed so many iconic shows in the next few decades. He directed The Bob Newhart Show, The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Oh, so from he's like been a around classic, for a while. like okay. golden age of the sitcom wow. era. Okay. He's like one of the okay. guys who developed Cheers. What? Yeah. <laughs> 
from 93 to 95, he was the president of NBC's productions. He greenlit Homicide Life on the Street, amazing show, uh-huh. and also Jag, which went on to be huge and then spawned NCIS, yeah. which is like the biggest show of all time. So yeah. pretty crazy. But during all that time, he would still like direct regular episodic television. That's so cool. He has credits all over the place in all different types of series, sitcoms, procedurals, genre fair, what have you. And I mean, he's got credits for this year. Wow. So he's just like a journeyman, basically. But also a guy who was like at the head of the development cycle. That's it crazy. It's wild. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, if he did Homicide Life on the Streets, that means he would have worked with Simon? David Simon? Yeah, yeah. He brought Simon in. Yeah. You imagine, because Simon based that on his uh, his writings. Experience in Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. Man. Pretty crazy. That is crazy. That is nuts. And, you know, you look at this episode, and it's funny. It is. It does feel like journeyman TV directing, but I think mm-hmm. they approximate the more prestige look of Lost. Yeah, exactly. Fine. Like, exactly. It, it gets by. It's not yeah. super exciting in terms of the shot composition or anything, mm-hmm. but it still just has enough of that great look. It has mm-hmm. this amazing location. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought the way the show continued to use the production value of that plane, you know, just yeah. just arranging characters around these gigantic broken turbines and pieces of fuselage it just it never stopped being striking image wise yeah. yeah and it's it's solid from that perspective and like you said it's it's so interesting the way it sets up the characters i i yeah. it teases a lot about jin and i'm curious yes, to does. see how we feel about jin once we get more of his backstory again yeah but this really sets him up to be an interesting character absolutely absolutely I think, and I mean, I, you've already, you've drowned us all in your, in your feelings, in your thoughts and feelings about Jack. Right. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think Jack is, he's overrated. Not Matthew Fox. Mm-hmm. I think Fox is absolutely fine. But the yeah. character of Jack himself is somewhat redundant. I think you could cut him out. Yeah. And you might have a more interesting story if it's just Kate, Sawyer, Saeed. Oh. Absolutely. Oh my. Yeah. And Locke. I mean, and Locke, on. exactly. And Michael. Yeah. yeah Michael's and Mi- great yeah. in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really Absolutely. liked his work. The way that he was playing off of Walt and yeah. off of Jin was great. Harold Perrineau is a treasure. He's doing such good work. I feel like mm-hmm. on the edge of everything. Mm-hmm. They don't give him a lot, but he, he kills it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's the thing. Matthew Fox, like we said, I think he really found himself after Lost, you had found a quote from him where he said he was never going to do TV again. Which... Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, he, he found himself in these more villainous roles. Like, I yeah. think he's so good in Speed Racer. Have you ever seen, seen Speed it. Racer? I've not seen it. It's funny. I think that is the greatest performance ever of someone speaking as if they are the English dub of an anime. <laughs> That's how he plays it. And it's I, incredible. It's funny. So I remember him from that. And then I remember seeing um, a camera, like a still of him in the Tyler Perry, Alex Cross oh, yeah. film. And I just remember he is so shredded. It is frightening. Like you can see every fiber of muscle shredded in and his body. Skinny as So fuck. skinny. It is just so unpleasant to look yeah. at. He yeah. He looks like a, a chicken tender that you put into the meat tenderizer for way yep. too long. <laughs> Anything that you think is overrated or underrated about these episodes? Oh, um. Oh, no. You know what? All right. <laughs> oh, no. This oh, is God. becoming part oh, of my no. brand, unfortunately. No, we're not doing it. I, oh, God. Let's move it along. No. <laughs> I'm going to say underrated is horniness on mm. a TV show. Because okay. episode six, House of the Rising Sun, it has this undercurrent of just being very horny. It's mm-hmm. about how horny Kate is for mm-hmm. Jack and possibly mm-hmm. Sawyer and possibly mm-hmm. Saeed and how horny everybody is starting to get and how there's just this constant tension how much charlie is into kate and also claire and there's just all these little dynamics you know all these bits of flirtation and it's really fun it's really cool i mean the part where the two hottie leads have to rip their shirts off because bees are attacking them is pretty silly like network shenanigans but at the same time i enjoy that spice and it reminds me of how different these dynamics were and how sexless 
so many network shows and movies are these days. How much mm -hmm. everyone is just depressed and shut mm -hmm. down and not at all willing to like physically engage with anyone else. And mm -hmm. we live in such complicated times in that regard. And I understand people's potential trepidation, not to mention wanting to like sell everything to a global market where that right. seems to be a little more anathema as well. You can always export violence, but you can't export uh, romance Sexist. or sex yeah. or any of that stuff. You're going too far. Right, right. It's a fun energy that this show has that I assume Javier brought uh, with him from uh, Charm. <laughs> He'd learned some of the lessons about, uh, you know, just ping-ponging around with all this sexual tension, and uh, it really makes the show fun. And it, it helps define the different factions uh, having the beach faction and the cave faction. Yeah. The fact that there's romantic tension between these characters actually helps create like a stronger sense that there are these different these different groups who are all vying for control. Mm -hmm. Alright, horniness. Did not see that coming, <laughs> but uh, kudos to you, dude. Alright. This is gonna be my brand. What, what clearly. clearly. Alright, my power rankings for uh -huh. the episodes. Okay. At five, I've got mm -hmm. water. Because we all need it. Absolutely. Every single day. And we can't get along without it. We're all thirsty, whether we admit all, it or not. Just like you said, just, I mean, just piggybacking off of you, man. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. thirst is for real. Yeah. At four, I've got Boone. Because he just, I mean, it's a slimy move that Boone pulls, right? Yeah. Come yeah. On. It's so underhanded and so just feckless and mm -hmm. just, it's so, and not even well thought out. It's like, come on, man. Like nothing he, he does thought, is well thought nothing out. he does is He's well thought out just an obstacle at this point God, yeah and Summerhalder. I anyway know, i know all right uh, so so is he ahead of or behind uh joanna that great memorable character joanna yeah do, do you know do you remember this <laughs> right right i forgot joanna this completely <laughs> unnamed unseen character who, who dies, dies? During a commercial break, she doesn't die on screen. She dies between when we see Lost yes. and we come back to yep. the opening credits. And and it's supposed to be like some kind of drama whipped right. up by that. Can we also talk about the fact that this woman, after having survived a plane crash, is low on food. There's no clean water to drink. The first thing that she does within a week of being on this island is go for a swim in the middle of the ocean where she does not know where she is at. I mean, I think if we'd gotten to know her a little more as a character, maybe we mm -hmm. would have understood her motivation here. But she is literally emotional MacGuffin. She is literally just pressing a button to make everyone sad. Why did they pick her? Like, no, why didn't they just have someone else die? <laughs> yeah. Joanna, for all I know, is just two arms. Two arms floating in the ocean. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyway, um, all right. At three, I've got Locke because he is the prophet of the island and he is coming yes. into his powers Mm -hmm. as uh, the Chosen One, as the Kwisatz Haderach. Dropping that brand new Dune knowledge, I see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Somebody I started like reading the book after seeing oh, the yeah. movie. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. All right. At two, I, I got to give it to Sun. Talk to me again uh, when you're uh, when you're familiar with the God oh, Emperor, bro. No, no, no. Uh -huh. no. <laughs> okay. Weird flex. All right. <laughs> At two, I've got Sun. Uh, because again, just the the rich character development yeah. there, um, I think it's great. And at one, I just begrudgingly I put Jack because um, he does have the power. Yeah, I did. mean, he makes that Christmas He's got Day the power. speech, man. He, he does. does, and then he takes half of the Losties with them, with him into into the caves. Yeah. And so it's a power move from a powerful guy. All right, who do you have? What's All your right. rankings? So, at number five, I'm gonna put Cole Turner, Phoebe's evil ex husband. Who, uh, of course, was played by uh, Julian McMahon, you know, in an like defining mm, yeah. slimy performance. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed like sort of how he messed with the power dynamic uh, before he got into yes. plastic surgery, you know? Yes. And mm -hmm. then at number four, I'm going to go with uh, Prue Hollowell uh, because she was a very powerful and tough witch, but. You know, she was just a little too unstable to remain part of the family, and thus uh, Shannon Doherty <laughs> departed from Lost after uh, the third season. Oh my god. At number three, of course, we're going to go with Paige Matthews, played by Rose McGowan. Oh Another really powerful witch on this island. I mean, just like one of the okay. most 
physically powerful witches who has ever been recorded, especially, mm. you know, on an island that is uncharted in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Of course. Because, you know, uh, she, as played by the lovely uh, Rose McGowan, was only a half-sister to the Hollowells, though, and she only came in in the start of season four. So I'm not going to give her the, the full power ranking, even though, you know, I mean, Rose, she's incredible. Oh, she's God. right up there. Right. <laughs> At number two, of course, I'm going to go with Piper Hollowell, played by... Holly Marie Combs, who uh, had the power to cause evil beings or objects to spontaneously explode with her hands. What's your number one? What's by your number Javier one? Marquez. <laughs> you just knew how to bring out that horny energy, even in inanimate objects, just having them explode as soon as they were touched. What's your and then, of one? course, I mean, my number one. We're, we all saw it coming. She's just a standout among all of the losties, a standout from the fuselage. She would have been a standout in the tail section as well. Of course, it's Phoebe Hollowell, played by Alyssa Milano, the most powerful of the get witches. Of just get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> the whole shut power up. of the three just, just rests up. on her. We all know. Just, just I mean, shut up. On. Just get out of here. All right, we're done with this. We are done. This podcast is over with. Shut it down. Oh, man. All right. All right, are you ready to name that episode? I guess so. I guess so. This is my right, punishment. Here we go. <laughs> yes, it is. All right, so this season three two-part episode of The Office was director, directed by Harold Ramis, and during which Andy takes Michael to Benihana, Karen and Pam create their own Christmas party. Fuck. Okay. Is the name of the title about the Christmas party or the Benihana excursion? Mm both both Ooh, ooh. okay because i feel like there's something about like benny hana that just keeps sticking in my mind season three and it's about a benny hana and a christmas party yes is it called like a benny hana christmas party oh you i'll give it to you it's a benny hana christmas oh yes yeah yeah, yeah i'll yeah. give it to you yeah yeah mm-hmm. all right good job man <laughs> so that was directed by harold ramus mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah. oh damn that's pretty cool yeah yeah, yeah. Good stuff nice. um i am right. not the... looking forward to him being resurrected as a cgi cartoon <laughs> in the new ghostbusters uh, by the way i uh, really uh you know they're gonna do something like that all right, right. moving on yeah i can't it's do it so all depressing right. Yeah, come on, come on. Let's let's stay uplifted. Let's keep it. Let's keep it optimistic here. Right. 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 Okay. Uh, uh, in this season two episode of Seinfeld, yeah. George attempts to exact revenge on his boss with the help of Elaine. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Jerry and Kramer try getting even with a laundromat owner who they believe has stolen money from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it called the laundromat? Mm, no, no. Damn. It's not the puffy shirt. No, it's no, not that. It's no, not that no, one. No, Fuck. Because it's just the something. Yes. Oh. And is this is because is it about the laundromat though? Is it about like is the? Are you asking me if the t- if the title, the title had... if the title? Yeah, yeah. Beyond no. the article, if the noun no. is referencing no. that. Fuck. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um. Hmm. <laughs> Any... George decides that he wants to quit because he's not allowed to use the executive toilets. <laughs> I remember this episode, dude. <laughs> Fuck. Um, damn. Hmm. <laughs> any, any hints about the title itself? The title, I've already said the title. You've already said I've the said title. I've said the title. Yeah, the, the other word, the, <sighs> the noun, the oh. concept is oh. already in. Yeah, well, I've said it already. Um, hmm. Do you want me to read it to you again? Yeah, just read me the episode right. description again. In this season two episode of Seinfeld, mm-hmm. George attempts to exact revenge on his boss with the help of Elaine. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Jerry and Kramer t- try getting even with the uh, laundromat owner who they believe has stolen money from them. Oh, oh, is it called The Revenge? It is. Ah, it is, it is, nice, it is. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Right. I kept thinking there was something with a laundromat. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuz there's so many there's so many episodes that are named after just like an article of clothing. Just yeah. so great cuz something unspeakable <laughs> usually happened with it. <laughs> Some great wrong was done involving a puffy shirt or a jacket or any mm-hmm. other manner of yeah, yeah, anyway. 
Any other thoughts on uh, White Rabbit or House of the Rising Sun? I mean... <laughs> I feel you like if enough. I if I air my grievances anymore, I know it's just Dude, gonna if there's it's gonna any be a more to, breaking point. Yeah, yeah, if there's any more coming out of you, you're just gonna turn inside out. Oh, so you're yeah, right, not gonna happen. <laughs> I love you keep describing it as these grotesque excretions. Everyone's gonna just be assuming there's all sorts of unspeakable bodily fluids flying out of me every time we record a podcast. So thank you for that. Uh, but no, I mean, I think we covered it. It's just, it's so interesting how this show, and I'm brought right back to watching it for the first time, the ups and downs of this show, the emotional highs and lows just of like watching it and falling in and out of love with this show on a weekly basis are so acute it it continues to give me so much entertainment so much that i love about it i love so many of these actors i love the setting but man is it a roller coaster you know sure is it It really really is. is and i just see too how it's like week to week that was so tough especially when they were taking multi-week breaks between episodes it was a lot to ask of an audience and i see Mm -hmm. you know how people fell off and uh i hope that it means that binging this season again is gonna bring us a new appreciation for it that's all you know i hope so you really do have to think about like even as the show was uneven as it was over the course of its run yeah you do have to admire the highs like when yeah. they're there when the show is on it is right up there with the best it's it's unparalleled it is especially just... as an act of improvisation you know everybody yeah. loves to shit on lost for not knowing where it was going but like just having accepted that and moved past that it's so impressive what they pulled off for having just no runway you know yeah. for this fucking yeah. plane man yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll still come back to being jaded about the fact that they didn't know where they were going, but, like, we still have to move past it. But I'll just come back to it and then move past it again. Right, and then we'll come back to it again. And then we'll come back to it again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Totally. Anyway, uh, it's been great, man. For sure. If you're into this podcast, drop us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show get more exposure. And uh, we we just, we, we love hearing from you, too. Drop us a rating, drop us a review, and uh, make sure you follow so you're getting those new episodes too. And you can check out our Instagram too. It's always going to have updates, announcements about new episodes, uh, some little spicy clips, and some really, really high quality goat photography, which I just never get tired of. Some of the best. Some of the best. Some of the best. I mean, I'm keeping the best for myself. (laughs) He's saving those really premium goat pictures. Anyway, yeah, but uh, that is at Goat Season Pod. Also, I just want to quickly thank Janice O'Leary for our beautiful artwork, as always, killing it. I also want to thank Josh Sullivan for our intro music and Battlequake for our outro. We will see you next week for Lost Episodes 7 and 8, and hopefully a little less griping. Peace. Peace. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started